everyone. Welcome back to the podcast in 2022. Yeah, it's been a while and there's been a bunch of stuff that's happened, especially in your life, Carolyn. So we haven't seen each other for a while. And why is that? Um, because I got married and moved to Switzerland. <laughs> okay, so that's a pretty big switch. What happened? Um, well, my boyfriend and I got uh, my boyfriend got into a business school in Switzerland. And in October, we looked at each other and we we're like, yeah, I think we should get married and go. So we got engaged. Six weeks later, we got married. Um, and then we moved to Switzerland the next week. So we're here and it's beautiful. And we're next to Lake Geneva and it's not too cold. But Mm-hmm. I remember you you called me in October and you knew that this was coming at some point and it was a Tuesday and you said I think I'm getting married on Friday yep and but then you also said I'll be one of the first people to get married before I'm even engaged yes because the Swiss visa process called for a lot of documentation including a marriage certificate so um so it all came together and we're here um and we're excited to uh, yeah, we're getting assimilated, um, but excited to be back on the podcast. We have a really great episode today um, with the Purvises, who has Kay has had a long-standing relationship with. Yeah, we are talking with Aaron and David from Athens, Greece, and we've had several of our podcasts from there. They work in the Vula House, which we've talked about with Phaedra and also with George on past past episodes and you will love hearing their stories and their giant giant hearts and so here we go enjoy the first one of 2022 can we start out by just saying like we know you've been to many different countries you've lived in different places so just give us a small recap on where you've been and how you ended up in Athens. Okay. Before I was married, I was living in Europe and the Middle East, working with Arab speakers. So I have lived in England and France and Jordan and Egypt and Syria. And then I'm, I married David we went for, after we were married, we went first to Bulgaria and we lived in Bulgaria for 13 years. And then we moved to Ukraine and we lived there for about six, six years. Well, toward the end of our time in, in Ukraine, about the time that the refugee crisis was, was beginning in 2015, 2016, when so many people were coming from the Middle East and through Turkey and then across into the Balkans to Greece, uh, trying to get to Central Europe, through Central Europe and then to Western Europe. I especially, because I had lived in the Middle East, was watching that whole situation pretty, pretty closely, following it pretty closely. And I had, we had friends in Central Europe that were beginning to be involved in helping refugees who were on the journey, as it were, for us personally, as a family, our two children were about to, to go back to the United States to go to university. So we were kind of at a point in our lives where we could make a change. I, I started to talk to David a little bit about um, the possibility of moving somewhere so that we could be involved with refugees. And our organization 
had people working in Athens. So we began to explore that to make some inquiries. And long story short, we got an opportunity to move to Athens and to work with the church in uh, Glyphada, which is a community outside of Athens. And it's the church that's pastored by George and Fedra uh, Tolius, uh, whom you've already interviewed. And so they were beginning this project called the At Home Project, sponsoring uh, an apartment building turned into refugee housing, which is uh, called the Vula House because it's in the neighborhood of Vula. And David and I are both um, English as second language teachers. That's what we've always done overseas. Just connecting that with teaching English with meeting non-believers and then connecting them into church planting. That's what we've always done. So George and Pedro invited us to come and work with them in Athens and to teach English to these refugee families. And so that's what we did. That's what we've done. That's what we're doing now. So that just to backtrack for a second in Bulgaria and Ukraine, you were there for um, a long time. You were doing ESL ministries. Is that right? Yes. Yes. Okay. Okay. Also, what was the, what was the transition like from, I mean, living in Bulgaria and Ukraine and those cultures, how do you think that's different than uh, where you are now? Well, uh, Eastern Europe has its own flavor. Uh, this was the first time into Western Europe, even though it was still on the Balkans, but Greece is different. So we had to get used to a uh, higher standard of living. At the same time, it's the first time we've worked directly with refugees from Asia and the Middle East. So that, that was quite different. The weather was a big change, but for me, it was a, a good change. I didn't relish the long, cold, dark winters in Ukraine. So I was really happy to move to the Mediterranean. And uh, yeah, so it's been, it's been good. But yeah, it is really different from living in a place that was part of the Soviet Union. Um, that was sort of our, our culture and, you know, what we were living in. And so this is, this is very different from that. Well, also living in Greece, my understanding is that it, you, I think we think of it maybe as being Western Europe, but the culture is really a little bit more of the Middle East, isn't it? Yes, very much so. Of course, it's very close to Turkey and has had, you know, that kind of Middle Eastern feel for a long time because it's a crossroads. crossroads. So yes, it does have very much, I mean, the food, the culture, the music, a lot of similarities to the Middle East. David, Kay told me that you are a hiker. Um, and so you're an ESL teacher and you're a hiker. And I think you've used your hiking hobby um, as a way to connect and build friendships. So how has that gone in Greece? It's gone well. I mean, we live on the side of a mountain. Their neighborhood is a 20 minute, 15 walk, minute walk from here. So uh, on a number of Saturdays, when it's not too hot and it's not raining, we have, uh, I've taken the men and the boys from this refugee house and we've spent the day on a day hike. We'll take backpacks just for their picnic lunch and and it's been great. I mean, for them, you know, all of them have been through trauma. All of them are under the pressure of uncertain process for getting their asylum papers straight. 
jobs, what's next, what's going to happen to us, and to be able to get out of the, you know, cement of the city up into the mountain, looking out on the Saronic Gulf and the blue water. I think it's really good, and, and the conversations flow as we walk. The conversations sometimes go to spiritual things. Some, often they're just life experience, and sometimes they're instructing me about plants or animals that we run across because it's similar to where they're from. And at one time, we're walking along, and one of them pulls out his knife and whacks off a, a thistle bush, a kind of thistle I hadn't seen before, and he skimmed off all the edges of it, and then there was this core that was all wet, and he handed it to me and signaled to eat it. <laughs> it was great. And I thought, you know, this would save somebody's life if, you know, they were caught out on the mountain at the wrong time of the year mm-hmm. and they needed water. But uh, anyway, it, it's, it's been good. I was glad to be able to take them out of the city and enjoy. You've also had some pretty deep conversations out there. Um, remember you telling me once about a conversation regarding prayer and it was just how you were explaining your conversations with our heavenly father and the responses that some gentlemen had. I think they were shocked that, that you could actually speak to God and just have a conversation. Yeah. They're from cultures where God is distant and should be feared and should be appeased. And the thought of talking personally with him is something totally foreign to them. I mean, but at the same time, with every English lesson I teach, I start with prayer and nobody ever says don't. (laughs) I mean, the class is about English, but I always pray for them. And sometimes they even give me prayer requests before I pray. So, so they hear it uh, and they hear how we're concerned about them. Anyway, so, so the hikes have been great. Um, some of them have lasted six or seven hours. I didn't intend them to be that long, but you know, you get walking and it's beautiful and then you have to come back. And one other thing I'll mention, not just hikes, but the sea is beautiful. They're afraid of the water, a lot of them, because they've seen horrific things on the water. Mm. Or they, they saw, they've never been around water in their own home country. But we found that they are willing to try to swim. And so we take them to a great beach where the water's pretty and we teach them to swim and they love it. You know, once they get over the fear and find out that beautiful, clear water is very pleasant to be in and not, and can, you know, you can negotiate it. So I, I think that's been another way we've gotten them out of their, their, their world into something they could really enjoy. Well, and knowing they must really trust you to get in the water with you. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things we talk about a lot on this podcast is there's a lot of misinformation about refugees and immigration in America. One thing we would, we want to do is help people visualize and picture what it's like to be a refugee. So yeah. What would you say people need to know about the refugee experience? Well, I'll start with this one and then I'll let David finish. I actually asked one of my good friends from the Vula house yesterday about this question and she's someone who's been there I think probably at this point she's been there the longest and we're hoping that that she and her family are going to be able to 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 move on soon 
And so, um, but this is what she, she said. It's not super positive, but I'll, I'll tell you anywhere and tell you anyway, and then David can chime in. But what she said was she said, you know, actually I don't think anyone can really understand it. And I think she was just trying to be honest. You know, she said, you know, she was pretty matter of fact, but pretty adamant, you know, they just can't understand. And she said, you know, we're, we're all so different, you know, talking about refugees, we're all so different. We come from so many different places. We have so many different kinds of journeys. You know, you just, it's just impossible to kind of put yourself in our shoes. And I thought, well, that's, you know, fair enough. David's response was, well, that's not super helpful for people back in the States. <laughs> but anyway, I'll let David chime in with what, with his thoughts. Well, based on what I've heard them say, what the information they wanted me to understand about them, I, I think they would want people to know, even though they have lost almost everything in leaving their homeland, they are worthy of respect and dignity as anybody else, because in a sense, they are no different than anybody else. They're mothers, they're fathers, they're daughters, they're sons, and they're just like us, except for, you know, the fact that they've lost all of this and have to start over. I knew you would make me cry at some point. <laughs> <laughs> um, are there any, not misconceptions maybe, but something new that you've learned after being there for your time. You came in not, you know, working, having worked in many different cultures with many different people, but working now specifically with refugees very intensely. Is there anything you think, all right, I've really learned that about myself or learned that about them, something new and different? I think for me, maybe like many people, when I was when I was watching the news and seeing you know uh, pictures and videos of these different refugees and on their on, in the lifeboats in the camps you know just in big groups of people you know I think I guess I had the assumption that they were um, kind of that they were all basically um, poor from, you know, very difficult economic backgrounds, that kind of thing. Um, but, but what we've learned from meeting our friends in the Bula House is that many of them come from backgrounds that are as educated or, um, or more, or are wealthier, you know, than even our own backgrounds. Um, you know, people with PhDs, you know, people with masters in architecture, people who own their own businesses, you know, for with a hundred employees, um, you know, people that inherited amazing wealth from their families. Um, yeah, so, you know, they're just, I think they're not, they're not who, always who we think they are. Um, I would add, I think they are some of the bravest people I've ever met. Um, they, 
Each of them carries a story of their life. It's your privilege if you get to hear it. And I don't know, I just have to take my hat off to them so many times when they tell me about what they walked away from or what, what their families, in some cases, did to them because they became Christians before they left. It, it staggers me. I'm, I have a much greater respect for them than I did before. So speaking of some of your friends becoming Christians, um, I believe that you, you two led a course called Al-Masira. I actually don't know much about that so at all. So if you could yeah, tell us about it. Oh, it's a great um, series of films. I think they're really 13 films. Uh, they were put together by Christians from a Muslim background to relay, uh, to talk about, present the, God, the, the Messiah from the perspective of the signs, uh, the prophecies, and the prophets, uh, which is the kind of language, those of Muslim background, that's what they think in terms of, except all of, all of this is tracking those characters, Old and New Testament, who were considered prophets. And uh, so the films are shown. Um, it's usually in the context of uh, evening setting where there's a meal provided or just food of some kind. So it's, you know, there's ideally there's an hour of fellowship and then an hour of watching the film and discussing it. So we got to show those to those who wanted to come from Lula House and I mean, from the beginning, we had almost everybody coming. In fact, we had to scramble for childcare. <laughs> but um, COVID. then COVID happened and we had to stop. And then after or between lockdowns, we finished. Uh, and it, it was great. I mean, they asked questions that I never thought about. You know, one of the guys said, why did God pick such a loser like Moses to be his prophet? <laughs> But I mean, other questions like, why, why did God uh, let Abraham get to be 100 before he could have that son? Or if we're in the image of God, how is it that we can sin? So it was great. They asked good questions, and it was not combative at all. They were genuine, genuinely interested. So you said most people came. How did you explain what this was and what it was for? Well, in the series, they give you an introductory film. Okay. And so we just showed it one night in the living room on the third floor, invited everybody to come. And even then, I asked at the end, do you have any questions? And right off the bat, they asked really hard questions. Like uh, one, of the, one, of, one of them said, how is it that God allows people who are so evil and do evil things to continue to have power to do those things? from the perspective of victims. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I, I, I tried to respectfully give them some answer, but I finally said, I don't have all the answer to that. But you've got, you, finally, it is a matter of trusting the one who is the judge of all men, who's also the, the Savior. So it was a good series, very useful for us. To, and it, it was in, we presented it in Farsi. You can choose the language. Yeah, the course itself was, as David said, it was designed and produced by Muslim background believers. So, of course, you know, just 
the whole cultural context that it's shown in the the videos where the where the videos are shot, the music, everything. It's all something that would be very familiar uh, to people from, or most people from Muslim backgrounds, especially those from the Middle East. And as David said, it's it's it does present the gospel. It presents who Jesus is, but it does it in a chronological way, beginning in Genesis and then working all the way through the New Testament. And it uses the, especially the prophets and the figures uh, in the Old Testament that they are, that they would know, that are also found in the Quran, although the series doesn't use the Quran at all, but it uses names of, of figures that they, that they would be familiar, familiar with. So That's it's... Awesome. Like the environment also looks much more similar to what they're used to, right? Yes. The illustrations that they used, the, the scenarios and skits, all were situations from the Middle East. Yeah. Well, we'll definitely put that in our show notes if people would like to look at it. Uh, I know our church took part of it, took part in a training for that, so that you would be able to use it in different yeah. places. It's very. very I would fun. highly recommend it being applied in a home and not a church, though. Yeah, our training was in the church. Yeah, yeah. So we just did that so we could kind of get an idea of it. So um, what is it about people that are coming from Muslim backgrounds that makes them a little bit more open to talking about spiritual things, even if they may not be a practicing um, Muslim? Why, why do you think that they might talk about religion maybe easier than maybe a Westerner or an American? I think, in, at least in my experience in, in living in the Middle East, of course, I haven't lived in Muslim countries that are, you know, in other parts of the world, but um, there's, with people from Muslim backgrounds, there is almost always an assumption that you believe in, in God. And the language that you use just in everyday speech, so much of it comes from the Quran and is based on, you know, religious terminology and principles. Um, there's not a sort of a church versus state, secular, non-secular kind of division in their, in their society. It's, you know, everybody's ID card has you know, what your religion is, you know, what religion you were born, you know, and of course, in the United States, we don't, we don't have that, you know, religion is private, it's personal, whereas there, it's just, it's normal, you know, even if you were talking to someone who wasn't a, a religious Muslim or a practicing Muslim, it's not strange at all to talk about, about God. Mm -hmm. It actually kind of makes it easier. <laughs> yeah, I completely agree. That's been my experience in uh, just working with Muslims. There's oftentimes when they understand that you're not a just Christian as an American, um, when they understand you have a real uh, reverence for the Lord and there's a mutual respect there. It's kind of like, ah, you know, um, we both have a, a, a framework we can, you know, dialogue within. So. We also want to hear some other stories of just moments when you've been blown away by what the Lord has done in this really special place where he's put you. Um, I think of the, the story that stands out to me the most is one you may have already heard from 
some of our colleagues, but I think about uh, a young man who um, left his homeland, uh, not a believer, but ended up uh, marrying a, a young woman who was a believer while they were in a camp and ended up in Athens, a brilliant young man. He was a professor in his home country and um, very gifted. And uh, when he came to Greece, he, our, our, our local church and my colleagues, they were answering his wife's call to talk to him because he had many questions. And the end result of those Bible studies, those meetings was he put his faith in Christ. He and his wife were baptized here in the sea. So he was growing by leaps and bounds. And I got to teach him English to some, for a while. Um, but the, the thing that surprised me the most was toward the end of his time here, there were a lot of things that really disappointed him and hurt him. And he, he became desperate, um, discouraged. And I was really concerned for him. And the Lord took him out of the situation and put him in another country uh, where many people from his homeland had ended up and gave him such a heart for the lost of his own homeland, made him a winsome evangelist. And he began to share with the other people of his language in his camp. And, you know, he wrote and said, I've got um, a little bit of a problem because I've got these people, like 23 of them, that want to be baptized. They put their faith in Christ. And I'm not a pastor, and I'm not, I've never been to seminary. So he goes to a Lutheran church in that country and goes to a Lutheran pastor and says, would you baptize them? So in the end, they did. And it started a, a process. And I think over 100 have been brought to Christ through this man and his wife and their winsome ministry and love for people and love for God. And I, I, I think it, it wouldn't be surprising if he becomes a very effective pastor one day. Yeah, I mean, that story is really amazing because that couple separately before they met each other and then after they were married went through um, just such difficult things. Some, I would say, almost, you know, unspeakable. And yet God, you know, redeemed all that. And now he's using them in amazing ways, you know, and it's just, it's just wonderful to see, encouraging. And yeah. Yeah, um, it's a great reminder of Acts 17, 26 and 27, how God moves people from places yeah. where they can then hear and how he moves people. I think we we tend to think, well, then he will move them to a place where they can now hear the gospel, which is true. But then yeah. how he takes those people and maybe even moves them someplace else. And yeah. the threads are just so beautiful to see and how God has moved them through many different countries and intersecting, as you said, with you, with the Vula House, and then has put them into another place and intersecting with a Lutheran pastor and mm -hmm. how um, just an amazing thing for you all to have been part of that. Yeah. Yeah, I think one, another story for me that I, I think about um, is uh, a woman who um, was in the Bula House for a while. Um, she came from her own country 
by herself with her two children and ended up in Athens and then ended up at, at Bula House, a strong practicing Muslim. And um, she was one of the ones who came along to see the Almasira videos. And of course, has been involved with some of the um, the sewing and craft projects that we've done with the women and that kind of thing. And so she's she's been to the church a number of times and um, she she's the one who, after the introduction to the El Masira course, she's one of the ones that asked David, you know, this really hard question about, you know, if, you know, how, how does God allow evil people to continue doing their evil things without, you know, punishing them or, or, or getting justice or whatever. And um, so um, after she asked that question later, another friend in the house uh, told me, Aaron, do you know why she asked that question? And I said, no, I don't. I don't really know her very well. I don't know her story or anything. And she said, well, she came here because um, in her own country, she had a, a daughter who was maybe 20, 21, um, married, had a grandchild, a grandson, but that daughter's husband um, um, wanted a new, a different wife. And he, um, he ended up poisoning um, this first wife, the daughter of, of my friend, and she died. And then he took the grandson and, and left. And, and this, of course, just broke this mom's heart. And her own husband had multiple wives. And so that, and she was upset with him because he wouldn't, you know, press for justice, press for, justice for what had happened to their daughter. So she, she left and, and they came to Greece. Um, she was on her own. So she was, you know, just grieving, grieving and angry. And, um, but anyway, she's, we, she's, you know, she lived in the house for a while and, um, she's been, you know, uh, coming to the El Masira course and that kind of thing. And not so long ago, she, she was, uh, at one of the meetings and after it was over, she was speaking to another, another person there. And, and I overheard what she was saying. And she, she said, um, she said, you know, I'm a really, I'm a strong Muslim. I'm a practicing Muslim. Um, I don't know why I'm coming to this meet these meetings. You know, why am I coming all the way out here to this church? Um, she doesn't, she doesn't live at the Bula house anymore. She lives in downtown Athens. So it's quite a, you know, a trek for her to come. And um, she goes, I don't know what it is, but I just can't stop myself. I just, I just have to come, you know? So it was really, it was just really encouraging and to see God working in her heart in a way that she doesn't really even understand yet, you know, that he's just wooing her, you know, and drawing her and, uh, so yeah, her her story's not over yet. We'll see what happens. But um, I I have another story that's not over yet. Um, a couple that um, came from Af Afghanistan. Um, 
and uh, they actually married here. They met here and married here. So um, a while back, there was a lot of tension with Turkey and uh, political tension, and the authorities began to round up the refugees who didn't have their paperwork straight. And unfortunately, our friend who was living at the little house was arrested because he didn't have his papers on him at the time. And they put him in detention that lasted seven months. Um, we didn't know. A lot of people were being deported at that time. And so he was moved from one to another. His wife and I went to visit him a couple of times. And we found out that during his time there, somebody gave him a Bible in Farsi. And he read the whole thing. He said he really enjoyed it. He had plenty of time. And then somebody handed him an Urdu Bible and he read that. And he told us he was, you know, urging his other Farsi cellmates to read it because, um, and he said he had a lot of questions, but he really enjoyed reading it. And, uh, you know, I, I just didn't imagine it could be that good. As we were uncertain, what would happen to him? He was finally moved to Northern Greece. It looked like they were going to deport him and then the paperwork got straightened out and they let him out. But he still, uh, they still come to the church from time to time. That's really encouraging to hear God is doing a lot where y'all are and then through your relationships. But in light of all that you just shared, especially about what these people are, have, have gone through and about having to surrender that to the Lord, um, what is a Bible passage maybe that has been dear to your hearts as you've worked in the Lula house? And then, um, and then we have a few little, two little fun questions at the end, but yeah. I mean, one verse that we, we really like is uh, Leviticus 19, uh, 34. The alien living with you must be treated as one of your native born. Love them as yourself, for you were aliens in Egypt. I am the Lord your God. I think that, that really encourages me a lot uh, in how to respect them and love them and, and why and to what degree. Yeah, back to being treated as you would want to be treated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think for for me, um, when I when I think about these these folks, um, what it 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 reminds me um, and affirms in me again this what's really true for all of us is that we are all sojourners and strangers and aliens on this earth, you know? And what they are experiencing literally, physically, um, you know, finally it's true for us. This, this world is not our home and not for us, not for them. And, uh, you know, that's something that, that we also can, can share with them. Yeah. So for me, that just, that's just, it just emphasizes for me, you know, when I, when I look at their lives, when I see, hear their stories, I just remind myself too, you know, yeah, I'm just, I'm just passing through. <laughs> well, I'm very glad that you are passing through Greece. And I know that a lot of people are very glad that you have passed through there as well. 
So it's been a privilege to hear your stories. And uh, as Carolyn said, we probably need to be wrapping up, but um, I think a visual I would have of this podcast is just two giant hearts sitting there on the couch. So thanks for sharing. Um, our fun little questions, and hopefully you didn't cheat because I know you've listened to the podcast, is <laughs> show us and, and do a special picture, but we do want to know what the last picture is on your, um, on your phone. Oh, gosh. <laughs> oh, that's so cool. That's mine, too. Okay, our our pictures are the same, actually. Oh, you're such I'm a old married couple there. <laughs> yeah, no, no, it's because um, the last picture, actually the last five or six pictures of my phone are pictures that some of the Vula ladies painted on Tuesday. Aww. On Tuesdays and Thursdays, we try to get together at the church and um, have some kind of art craft project for them, either to make something to sell, but sometimes just to do something fun and relaxing. We put on music. And um, so Tuesday was painting day. And so they were all supposed to paint the sun and mountains and the sky. And I wish I wish I could show you some of these paintings because they're just amazing, as they always are when they do stuff, because they're so creative and you know that kind of thing. But um anyway, those are the and so I took pictures of all of them. And so those are the last pictures that I have on my phone. I think that's actually on the church's Instagram. So we could oh, put maybe, maybe. I haven't looked, but yeah. Maybe, maybe so, yeah. We'll add that link so people can take a look. Yeah, yeah. So that's what's on, that's what's on my phone. How, how was your picture, your painting? Uh, you know, Kay, I, you, you, you need to work with me a little bit. I'm, I'm still traumatized from a fourth grade art teacher. <laughs> that's so, bad. We'll work on that. I need some art therapy. On <laughs> that, we'll head over. So the second question that we ask people is: Is there a podcast or a book that you recommend? People first, No, no, no! Gosh. Um, well, first of all, we um, we're not really podcast listeners. <laughs> I don't know if that's our age or what, but we're except just this one, right? Right. You listen to except for this one, okay. except for, yeah, except for this one. One of the books that's had the most influence on my life besides the Bible is shadow of the shadow of the almighty. Mm -hmm. About Jamelia. Yeah. That's an incredible book. He was so disciplined. That's what I always take away from it when he was in college. I read it in college and I was like, I'm not, I'm not close. <laughs> not him. I pulled it out during the lockdown when Aaron was in the States and it was a fresh encouragement to me. I, I think for me, for me, if I, if I was going to recommend a book, I, one of my favorite books ever is a book about South Africa called Cry the Beloved Country by Alan Payton. And it's a book about, uh, an Anglican priest and a and a, a a wealthy farmer landowner, and it's about uh, 
uh, a black man and a white man and apartheid and how how their lives are connected by a tragedy. And it's a story of radical uh, forgiveness. And uh, it's, it's, it's a wonderful book. And I, I recommend it to anyone. Yeah. Well, I think you guys could probably write a story of your lives. <laughs> and I think it would be very, very interesting. Well, thanks for sharing. Uh, we loved having you on. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you so much. Thank you for the opportunity. Thank you. Welcome. Hope yeah, it's great you. to meet you guys. Nice to meet you. Bye. 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 Thanks to everyone who made this podcast happen. Shout out to our editor, Robbie, to Jim's Beat for Music, and to all of you for listening. Check out our show notes and catch you next time.